Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But he's our guest, comedian Simon Munnery. See the arrow on the doorpost saying this land is condemned all the way from New Orleans to Jerusalem. I travelled through East Texas where many martyrs fell and I know no one can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell. I hear that hoot owl singing while they're taking down the tents. The stars above the barren trees was his only audience. Them charcoal gypsy maidens, they strut their feathers well. But I know no one can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell. See them big plantations burning, hear the cracking of the whip. Smell the sweet magnolia blooming, see the ghost of slavery's ships. I hear them tribes a-moaning, hear that undertaker's bell. And I know no one can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell. There's a woman by the river with some fine young handsome man. He's dressed up like a squire, bootleg whiskey in his hand. There's a chain gang on the highway, I can hear them rebels yell. And I know no one can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell. Well, God is in his heaven and we all want what's his. But power and greed and corruptible seed seem to be all that there is. I'm gazing out the window of the St. James Hotel and I know no one can sing the blues like blind Willie McTell. <laughs> okay, we are honoured. Thank, thank you for reciting that. That was br- brilliant. I mean, oh, thank you. why that particular Bob Dylan classic? Uh, I love it. <laughs> um, I went through a phase a few years ago for doing a show in Edinburgh most years and I thought I'd just force myself to learn a song and sing it. And uh, that was one of them. And so certain songs that I know. And since then, I've um, I danced with the Bedford Morris men. And, uh, <laughs> um, and one of the things they great do, one of the great things, I, look, I, I say I dance with them. They wouldn't call me one of them. <laughs> I dance near them. You dance uh, at them. I dance at them. <laughs> I dance in the same area wearing similar clothes. But, uh, they don't recognise me as one of them. But anyway, apart from dancing, they go in pubs, different pubs in Bedfordshire, burst in. And sometimes, um, last night, in fact, uh, they did a plough play. But then they do dancing, and then people sing songs, and I love it, just in a pub, unaccompanied. Some of them are a bit military. So I've got a repertoire of songs, uh, Well Turned Upside Down, by Leon Rossinson, I'm thinking of saying, but I might have got the wrong part. I first heard Billy Bragg sing it. Mm-hmm. C&D Valley in the 80s, get me. <laughs> and um, so that's a song I love. Mrs. Barber's Army by Alistair Hewitt, Blind Willie McTell by Bob Dylan, and uh, Career Opportunities by The Clash. So that's my repertoire of four songs I sing at Bedford Morris Midnight. What, what's the reaction to Blind Willie McTell? People don't know it, presumably. I've got away with it. It's quite. It's fairly relaxed. In but that, do people that, come up to you in the pub going, yeah, yeah, mate, what was it, that about with the, the slave uh, ship? And Well, I don't try and explain it as best <laughs> I can. That, that has yeah. happened, yeah. So how do you explain it? What I love about that song is it's like a film. It's very filmic. It's, it's this scene, this scene, this scene. And you sort of, I mean, any two dots, you draw a line, six dots, and it's the history of slavery in America. From the beginning, see the arrow on the doorpost saying this land is condemned. Now, what I think that means is there was the Underground Railway for escape, I think it was called the Underground Railway for escaped slaves, and they would leave a marker by certain houses to show they weren't safe or that they were safe. So that's what the arrow on the doorpost is. In fact, it's probably wrong, isn't it? It should be the arrow arrow on the gatepost. I mean, if you're actually on someone's doorpost at at their house, you wouldn't leave... 
How are you putting a mark on a door? Well, I, I, I read that it could be the thing that was happening to the Jews for Passover when they put a mark on the doorpost mm. in the Bible. Uh, so well, the rest about of it killing is... the firstborn and that sort of thing. But, uh, but I like yours better, but well, it could be a combination. It does chime in with the slavery thing. I just uh, that's mm. I wouldn't have thought it was about Jews. It could well be. I mean, well, they, were slaves, I'm, I'm well. they were slaves in Egypt, so maybe that's... Yeah, who knows? Indeed, that would help explain the... the I don't understand, but I don't mind not understanding a line. Yeah. I can still have it. Yeah. Saying, this land is condemned all the way from New Orleans to Jerusalem. That geographically doesn't make sense. But the idea that Jerusalem, because it's got a lot of history, isn't it? a holy city, and the fact of not understanding it completely doesn't worry me. Sure. I travelled through East Texas, I just believe that, where many martyrs fell. I presume that's escaped slaves being killed. A lot of that happened. Mm. And I know no one can sing the blues like Blind William McTell. I hear that hoot owl singing. Again, it's a scene. While they're taking down the tents, it's like a, a carnival or a circus kind of event. The stars above the barren trees was his only audience. I, I just find that quite poignant, the idea of a, a bird singing. Them charcoal gypsy maidens, and they strut their feathers well. So I imagine it's a, a kind of Western cabaret, can-canny kind of show. Charcoal gypsy, I imagine they're... Black women, they strut their feathers well. But I know no one can sing the blues like Blind William McTell. So, see, them big plantations burning. Now, it must have happened during the Civil War. Hear the cracking of the whip. Smell the sweet magnolia blooming. So we're in the South, I think. The contrast between the big plantations burning and smell the sweet magnolia blooming. See the ghost of slavery ships. I hear them tribes are moaning. Hear the undertaker's bell. But I know no one can sing the blues like Blind William McTell. And then this... Well, one of my favourite verses. There's a woman by the river with some fine young handsome man. Some fine young handsome man. He's dressed up like a squire. Right? So he's not even a squire. <laughs> he's just dressed up like one. He's wearing the clothes of the oppressor. Like, that's all right. Bootleg whiskey in his hand. Not even real. It is real whiskey, obviously, but it's not. There's a chain gang on the highway. The modern descendants of slaves. Well, you probably know this, but in the US... Some massive overproportion of uh, people in prison are black. And indeed, it's actually an industry. Prisons, have you seen Shawshank Redemption? It's mm -hmm. like that. They rent out the prisoners as labour. So it's such a thin line between that and what slavery was. Mm -hmm. In fact, when they abolished slavery, when this country abolished slavery in 1780s, I imagine, you know how they did it, the actual mechanism? They bought them all for millions. Slavery was really common, uh, as in you might be a widow in Scotland and you might never meet them, but you've got a couple of slaves, like a pension, working for you. And so all the slave owners were compensated. No great advance. Anyway, there's a chain gang on the highway. In the modern day, there's a fine young man with his, pretending to be a squire with, with his woman by the river. And, there's, and there's, meanwhile, there's a chain gang on the highway. So things haven't changed that much. See, this land is condemned, is condemned, still. Yeah. It's not was condemned, it's still condemned, and that's that. And then, well, God is in his heaven. Where do you expect him to be? If there is a God, if there is a heaven, etc. But anyway, fair enough. Well, God is in his heaven, and we all want what's his. <sighs> I don't know if I do. I don't, I'm not even sure I know what that means. It does remind me of another lyric, though. Kate Bush very famously had a hit again with Running Up That Hill. There's a verse in that, which, to my mind, uh, is definitely ambiguous, but I've never heard anyone pick up on it. The verse which goes, uh, If I only could, 
I'd make a deal with God mm. and get him to swap our places. It's not blasphemous in any way. If no. I could, I'd make I a deal see. with God. It's inherently not possible to make a deal with God. No. She, she knows that's absurd. Yes. But if I could, I'd make a deal with God. If I could, I'd make a deal with God and get him to swap our places. So God becomes Kate Bush. God made flesh, yeah, Jesus. Suppose it is possible. So God becomes Kate Bush, you know, flouncing around in a tutu. Meanwhile, what's Kate Bush doing? She's in some sort of, I imagine, what she imagines it's like to be God, a massive control room full of screens and buttons and watching every single thing that's still alive. Oh, Anyway, where were we? So God is in his heaven. We all want what's his. Look, do we, which but, is a bizarre, yeah. I, I yeah. Mean, I've never understood. I, I don't even understand how you can understand a line like no. that. People are ambitious, aren't they? But power and greed and corruptible seed seem to be all that there is. So it's not, it's not absolutely definitive. And then I'm gazing out the window of the St. James Hotel. Now, hotel and hospital are, are from the same route. Hospitality, huh. hospitality, hospitality. The same. So the St. James Hotel is also the St. James Hospital. I believe, I'm guessing, I think I did do some research, but not very lately. I think that's where Blind Will McTell died. He died of alcoholism and something else. Suddenly it's the end. He's in the hospital, gazing out the window. Blind Willie McTell had gazed out. I find that very moving. And you do know that this song has the same melody as a song called St. James Infirmary, don't you? Yes, St. James Infirmary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So hospital and, yeah, yeah. yeah, Yeah. Whether he calls it a hotel or... (laughs) No, but it's the same route. One of the things I like about one of Bob's recordings, I think it's it's the electric one, it's when he laughs, big old laugh. He goes, hey, power and seed, and power and greed and corruptible seed. seed. There's something about that laugh. Like, it's completely, unf- it's a real laugh. Like, ah. he's laughing. It, it's on the, uh, sometime in New York, that's where I springtime heard it. In New springtime York. in New York. Uh, I own no Bob Dylan albums because I have given them all away. I, I you know, went through a phase of being quite evangelist. But all the music I love, I don't have. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've given it away. Alistair Hewitt's uh, Mrs. Barber's Army, one of my, the songs I can sing. I was given that album by John Higley. And then um, I gave it to someone, I loved it. And I gave it to someone and I bought it again. And I gave it to someone and bought it again. <laughs> and I think I've got three tracks from it on, on my, I used to have on my old phone before it broke. So all I've got is my memories now. Well, I just wanted to say something about slavery because, you know, from what you said about Blind Willie Mattel, slavery is a huge part of the song. And I, I don't think that's really to be disputed. <laughs> but... You know, I was digging around, and I've always been a bit troubled by the fact that the third verse is missing on his website, right? So in his printed lyrics, he doesn't have the verse, see them big plantations burning. It's, uh-huh. it's just not there. It's just four verses instead of five. And I thought, well, that's odd. And also, he's changed, there's a chain gang on the highway, to, wait for it, he's dressed up like a squire, bootleg whiskey in his hand. Some of them died in the battle. Some of them survived as well. And I know no one can sing the blues like Barnum himself. Anyway, putting that aside for a minute... You remove all the slavery references. It's very strange. But then it's not just on the website. This song was first released in 1991. I think I had that on the 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 bootleg series. Two two CD sets. Yeah, three. And and then he first performed it six years later and never sang that verse. And I saw him in Wembley that October. And then I saw him six years after that. And he didn't do that verse those times either. And I'm thinking, has he ever sung See them big plantations burning. Verse does it only exist on the boot right? in 1983, and yeah. then he decided it was somehow inappropriate, which is very strange. I find it very. Uh, it, to me, it's like it's just kind of it's the centre of the song. It's about slavery. Yeah, it's the the absolute. And it's so unlike Bob Dylan to uh, redact himself. I mean, yeah. he's changed lyrics before, yeah. but that particular one, as you say, is so highly charged. It's such a brutal 
scathing, you know, beautiful condemnation. Of... It's also poetically beautiful because he goes through all the senses. He goes, see yes, the big plantations burning, burning, hear the cracking of the whip, <laughs> smell. smell that sweet magnolia blooming. I mean, if you were studying it, it would hold up to that kind of analysis. Yes, it would. Do as a poem. Or yeah, and it, sh- it actually shows up in the printed lyrics in 2004, which I've got at home, but everywhere else, it's been sliced out. And I is just thought, how strange. A, is, that, is that the only example you know of, of Dylan doing that? Or? Well, no, the, I mean, the lyrics on his website are, are a bit odd sometimes. They are, you look at them and you think, that's not what he sings. That's not even close. But this seems to be something something very, very deliberate, where he's just he's just taken literally the heart of the song out, the, the middle <laughs> yeah. verse. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the tent pole, if we're going with that image. Yeah. And I just wonder why. Because as you put beautifully, the whole song is about slavery, about the ghost of slavery ships, about the South, about chain gangs. But of course, he he didn't originally think it was good enough to release, right? Is that that mm. absolutely... He didn't release it. I read in the Chronicles, I think there, or somewhere I read about him that... Anyway, somewhere I read about him that he'd do an album, but he'd keep some songs back as a kind of insurance so he's got some more songs for when he gets old I, no, I think I, I think I he read said he never recorded he, it right he said it was like a demo he basically yeah. said well, there it is, was a demo well, yeah. I mean it's fabulous but yeah. but I guess if you're in the studio and you're thinking well here's a demo of a song and I'll get it right one day yeah. one time mm. uh, he just always regarded it as a demo but when you hear it but you also, he did exactly he did exactly what with Blind Woman Tell, what he did with She's Your Lover Now, is what he did mm-hmm. with uh, most of the time. You know, they were recording it in the studio and they were trying lots of different production techniques. And he went, "Fuck it, I'm yeah. just going to play it with just me and in this case Mark Knopfler as well, and we'll just try it like that." And then that tends to be when he sort of gives up on it because he does that with She's Your Lover Now. You have all those takes, then you have the solo piano version with most of the time on Oh Mercy which is on the album, you have all those, that layered production and then that beautiful acoustic version, which I looked up and it comes at the end after all that. And so often you see, he must be in the studio thinking, how can I get back to the truth of this song? Just the simplicity of it. And he tried Blind Willie Mattel. There's a couple of takes that exist uh, other than the one that we know. There's the one that Kerry's talking about where he laughs and he coughs. And there's another one which you can only get on a vinyl single that was released a couple of years ago, which is a, not very good, I don't think. It, it, and when he said, it, I never recorded it right, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with him. Mm. Well, I, do, I think the demo is, is fabulous. I yeah, mean, the, the version that's on the bootleg series 1 to 3 is, is I, I love. Yeah, because you can, I, I love it when he just plays with one other person, because you can hear the other person. You know, you have to be so brilliant to keep up with Bob Dylan. You know, Mark Knopfler must have been having a nervous breakdown. Just trying to keep going. I mean, he, he's he is such a good musician that he that he does. I was watching a, a documentary about Johnny Cash, and he ends up he's, he's in the studio with Dylan, yeah. singing a duet. Dylan's is, he's got the melodic voice rather than the, the older one. And then they're sitting in the studio or, or something. And Dylan's got his uh, his Johnny Cash is sort of sitting a bit further back, and it's it's like they're listening to the song back. Yeah, yeah. But Dylan's got got his chin resting on this counter or something, mm-hmm. with a, a hand just in front of his face. And uh, nothing happened to him. He's just like, oh, they're listening to the song. He was saying, suddenly Johnny Cash laughs his head off. I mean, you don't hear it. He just says something. Like and you realise, but then it's got a twinkle in his eye. He's told him a joke. Dylan's looking straight at the camera, but with his mouth hidden. So you've got to, it's just a lovely little clip. Yeah, it is. I don't uh, know the clip yeah. you mean. Do you remember when, when you first heard Blind, Dolly Mattel? Uh, when I got the bootlegs. Mm, so early 90s. Yeah. Because... We heard <laughs> about you via Stuart Lee as well, and because she's your lover now is also on that yeah. that collection. So that loads of great songs. On that. Yeah, that must have meant a lot to you. That that box set. Yeah, 
I mean, what have I had? Uh, Freewheeling, Highway 61, bring it all back home. Yeah. Blonde on Blonde, Blood on the Tracks. And then my journey kind of stopped, although I did buy... What's the album with uh, It Ain't Dark Yet, but it's getting there? Time Out of Mind. Time Out of Mind. Mm. That's uh, a really long song. I'm in the Highlands. Highlands yeah. <laughs> I just love him. Stuart told us his version of the story where you forced him to become a Bob Dylan fan. <laughs> but I'd like to hear the... I'd like, like to hear it from In a moment of emotional and physical weakness. Yes. Said, oh, I, I have no memory of it. So. Do you not? No. Because it, it changed his at the life. Time. Okay. Oh, um, so I don't. Yeah, so you I don't, don't remember torturing Stuart Lee? With I, I, Dylan, he, I, I certainly don't deny it. It's absolutely possible. I'd say you're quite evangelist about things. How many people are tortured with Bob Dylan? <laughs> but it doesn't work. You can't. You, no, it rarely works. I remember I was I was invited onto a podcast uh, last year, and uh, it was this podcast based on the Billy Joel song "We Didn't Start the Fire," uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and where it lists all these sort of iconic people and events. Of, uh, and one okay. of them is is Dylan, and so I was asked on as the Dylan guy, and I I went on about Dylan for like an hour, and I, I worked on it really hard. I really brought a lot of stuff to it and into it. And the two people who were interviewing me, seasoned professionals, you know, and uh, I could see it was just bouncing off them the whole time. Like, it was, they were not going to accept, not a sliver of Dylan was going to enter their hearts. No. You know, it just, it was, it was sad for them. I mean, it depends how you, well, all music, if it's hit you at the moment, one year in Edinburgh, I was doing this uh, clues with Stuart. Anyway, mm-hmm. sort of spectacular show. And I had a, a workshop in Islington where I hoped everyone would turn up and be like the sixties, like the factory with Andy Warhol. That was <laughs> what I wanted. But um, people used to come and hang around a bit, but no one built much. Anyway, after the first night, which was a disaster, then Mr. Thomas, who was the pianist in the show as well, he gave me "Kind of Blue" by Miles Davis, which is, to my mind, the greatest album ever made. Um, I mean, I've stopped listening to albums. Anyway, I just had that on loop for maybe six months. That's all I listened to, to the extent I can't really listen to it anymore. Mm. But if I ever meet someone who's really depressed, and this has happened, uh, <laughs> um, the uh, film star Dave Johns was really down one year in Edinburgh, and I went straight to HMV and got in there. Because it's, it's, it's got to come, it's like landing a plane, it's got to come in at the right moment, the right angle. Mm. There's no, someone's really happy, don't give them kind of blue. How it, I would say about Kind of Blue is it? it's all right. Miles Davis has lived. Humanity has done its job. There's mm. nothing more needs to be done. That's, that's how keen I was on that particular album. I've you know, got other Miles Davis albums afterwards, but nothing... And you say you don't listen to albums anymore? No, well, no. I well, mean, well, no, you I do, I do. I've, you got, do. I've got a record player now. Right. So I started buying albums. Again. Having having given them all away to, yes. to friends and things. Yes. <laughs> I'm in a loop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not just friends. So how many albums <laughs> do you have now in the, in the second wave of having albums? Probably about 15. So I haven't got a collection. Right. Yeah. I've got uh, Velvet Underground, Velvet Underground and Nico, uh, The Doors, The Doors, The Clash, The Clash. I'm testing a pattern here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, I <laughs> do you have Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan? <laughs> no. Oh, uh, well, his first album. It was Free Wheeling, wasn't it? No, his first album was called Bob, Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan. Bob yeah, Dylan, I should get that. Yes, no, I'm, should, I, it'll cheer I, you up. I realised there was a pattern developing, yeah, and then I yeah. pursued that pattern. Of, oh, it's, I seem to like first albums that are self-titled. <laughs> yes. That's my musical taste. So, And I do listen to it. I'm more likely to listen to Radio 6 music, or particularly like uh, I'm beginning to see the light. It's like played at the beginning of my show in Edinburgh this yeah. last August. Do you know the last um, 
couplet in uh, Beginning to See the Light. By I the know the song, but I can't remember it. Yeah. It ends with, How does it feel to be loved? How does it feel? And what I love about that is, it's ambiguous. It means both. It means, he's asking, how does it feel to be loved? Like, what would it be like to be loved? But also, he could be singing at you. Mm. How does it feel to be loved? And it means for both, I think. Mm. So it's a lovely lyric. Speaking of uh, Edinburgh last summer, and uh, well, w- let me just plug your current show. Oh, yeah. Okay. So your current show, which you did at Edinburgh last yes, summer. Yes, Trials and Tribulations. Trials and Tribulations. So it's still on tour. But you also sort of implied that somebody heckled you or no, no. something happened there and I, you used Bob no, no, Dylan in some I did, way? I did, I did a most of Ballad of a Thin Man as a put-down line. But I had to engineer it. Because, you know, people have come 3.30 in the afternoon. Very rarely do you get anyone drunk enough to heckle. But anyway, I just talked about heckling. I don't know how a show develops. Somehow you end up... It starts off completely chaotic, go on, talk about anything, and then you can't remember what you talked about the time before. So, And that's my most favourite bit of uh, developing show, as previews, because all bets are off and I have no idea. But then I, I finished with yeah, that seemed to go all right. God knows what I did. But anyway, so there's a bit about heckling, and I thought, oh, what would be the ultimate put-down line? Uh, so I just said, you know, maybe you could heckle me, and I asked someone to heckle me. And then I do a critique of their heckle and try and <laughs> help them out and improve that. I'd say, I'd go, oh, so um, I, I, I'll do it. I'd go, so uh, what's your name? What's your name? Uh, Bob. Yeah. Mr. Jones, you say. <laughs> you walk into the room with your pencil in your hand. You see somebody naked, you say, who is that man? You try so hard, but you don't understand just what you'll say when you get home. But something is happening here, and you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? You lift up your head, and you say, is this where it is? And someone points to you and says, it's his. And you say, what's mine? And somebody else says, well, what is? And you say, oh, my God, am I here all alone? Something is happening here, and you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? And then I explain, I do about three verses, and I explain to him, basically, it's uh, Ballad of a Thin Man by Bob Dylan, done in a Michael Caine voice. And from then on, that makes it even, then uh, the next few verses, it's just <laughs> funny that someone's, for so long, just at this bloke, right in his face, you know, and then I apologise afterwards for uh, <laughs> ruining his <laughs> afternoon. It's so funny, when you when you do quote Bob Dylan to people who don't know it's Bob Dylan, yeah. like I did that the other day for whatever reason, I quoted the first verse of I Shall Be Released to my brother. Uh-huh. And he said, uh, after I recited it, he said, uh, that's beautiful poetry. My brother teaches Shakespeare, so uh-huh. he said, that's beautiful poetry. Who, who's <laughs> it by? So that was the... That's reaction. I so tell me the story when I, about nine years ago. When I, I was in uh, the second series of Broadchurch, and I had to. Uh, they had a lot of courtroom scenes, and I was the clerk of the court. So for for about eight episodes of television, I had to just sit there and just scribble in a book. And they just said, if you could just carry on writing, you know, in the background. I thought, well, I, what am I going to write? So I started, you know, writing the Shakespeare I could remember, and then that ran out pretty quickly. Then I started writing Bob Dylan songs. Mm. So I just was sitting there scribbling, ain't it just like the night to play tricks <laughs> Six, yeah. when you're trying to be... Exactly. So that'll take me, you know, yeah. 10 minutes or whatever. Did all on the watchtower and things like that. <laughs> and one of the guys on the crew came up to me in the middle, in between some of the shots, and just said... Uh, you should write, you know. <laughs> some, some of that stuff's really good. <laughs> I had to, I had to do something similar once in a, in a stage play where uh, I was sort of sitting. My character was sitting silently for twenty minutes on stage while other people talked about him, oh. and 
it was unclear. He wasn't really supposed to be there. It was mm. just like they couldn't get me off the stage or whatever. So 20 minutes, we were on tour. I, after the first week, I said to the director, look, the character's kind of crazy anyway. Can I read a book? Can I just be <laughs> reading a book? And th they said, sure. So I read, uh, it was three Ken Campbell plays. Uh -huh. You know, the the furtive nudist, and there was like three Ken Campbell. Yeah. And uh, the only problem with that is... Laughing. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I was like not laughing, not laughing, not laughing, yeah. not laughing, and then <laughs> just went, ha! <laughs> Which was even if you're not laughing, if you're genuinely reading it, you'll be drawing focus in some way. You're yeah. right. You said uh, you you've seen Bob Dylan a couple of times. Twice. Twice. Once I tried to meet him. I was in Toronto. Anyway, but uh, first time I saw Bob Dylan was at the Brixton Academy. He was supported by. Elvis Costello, you know, great singer-songwriter, shipbuilding, fantastic. But uh, I just found him a bit irritating I was on that particular day. Like, indoor fireworks can burn you, lots, lots of clever wording things. Bob comes on, and it was just him and a guitar, and it was brilliant. When he sang Boots of Spanish Leather, I wept, mm. because I, I had a girlfriend who left me once to, <laughs> <laughs> to travel. Although, so, well, about that song, the odd thing, if you... Think about it, just logically, it's an epistolary song. He's writing letters to this girl mm -hmm. while she's on a ship, yeah. and she's writing letters back, but she's on a ship. <laughs> like, yeah. a, a telegram, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't see how that... It doesn't quite logically make sense, but as a the, the argument of it is, you know, and in the end, yes, there's something you can send back to me. I know your heart is, you know, the land to which you're going. Anyway... That and uh, you did if not for you. Oh, yeah, it's just oh, it's absolutely blown away. It was about 95, oh, would that I, be about right? I'm rubbish at any kind of dates, okay. names, places. And then saw him again a few years later at uh, Wembley Arena. Brixton oh. <laughs> Academy, that's a nice, that's mm -hmm. a proper yeah. kind of variety theatre, I imagine. Proper, like, Wembley Arena is like a cattle shed. Yeah. Horrible place. It was absolutely jammed. And um, it was Awful. The band was so loud you couldn't hear his voice. And when you could hear his voice, you thought, oh, just stop singing, mate. That's fucked. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I left after about 40 minutes. I just couldn't stand it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm on the tube station waiting for tubers. This whole bloke comes up to me and goes, you've been at the Dylan concert. It's like that. <laughs> Sometimes he's awful. <laughs> and fair enough. Like, they never ended up. I, I defend Bob Dylan. Do whatever, you, whatever gets you. Do, you know, change your songs yeah. as it often does. I, I believe just do them in different ways. You know, try and make it fresh each time. Well, same. Um, I have never, I've never met Bob Dylan. I was doing a five weeks in Toronto, a, a theatre that had been dark for six years. It was just me on. Uh, anyway, numbers were going down. But I, I, I fell there. I got to. I went to this bar and I got to meet Native Americans. They told me about the, the buffalo drop. How they used to kill buffalo. Anyway, so I had quite a good time. I was drinking quite a lot in the evenings. Anyway, Bob Dylan was doing a gig in Toronto. And I said, oh, I'd love to meet Bob Dylan. You know, I was tipsy enough to... <laughs> well, why not? I'll go meet Bob Dylan. And uh, I got in a taxi and said, can you take me to where Bob Dylan's staying? And uh, you had no idea. So I got out of a taxi. <laughs> I mean, unless you've got some sort of... I met Madonna once. That, that just warned me off trying to meet people. You know, ignore people. Don't try and meet people. How I came to meet Madonna... I mean, very briefly. This, this is an anecdote I have dined out on chips. Um, <laughs> right, so I was do, I'd done a round of uh, shows at the ICA and the Mao and uh, four nights. 
show with a lot of technical video and, and stuff. Anyway, the stage manager says, you come back tomorrow night, there's a party, Madonna's going to be here. I said, no, I've got a gig in Brighton. Uh, anyway, I don't bother about Madonna, particularly, uh, Cindy Lauper, um, <laughs> if I had to choose. Uh, anyway, you know, she's all right. But anyway, um, I'm driving back to central London, and I thought, ah, just pop in and I popped in and uh, it was a record company launch I, I was a friend well I say friendly first the term dealer uh, and he, he gave me a couple of lines anyway um, of poetry and um, anyway and then here's the moment where I decided to meet, try and meet Madonna it was because it was impossible right I'm sitting sort of in the foyer bit and two security guards beefy blokes in black come down and go into the gents and ladies toilets and pull people out right because those toilets come onto the stairwell madonna i didn't realize what was happening until it happened oh that's why they did that because they don't want anyone accidentally bumping into madonna that's how she came down with two security men either side of her in addition to the two that had done that i don't know she'd had death i don't have no idea why but it was it was like wow that is uh, anyway then I went in to see the, uh, half the people in the audience looking at the bands and the other half are sort of turning up to the balcony where Madonna is with two or three security men each side and the stage manager, who I knew, even he couldn't meet Madonna. And I just thought, well, how am I going to do this? Uh, it just became a challenge at yeah, that point. Yeah. And I, thought, I know what I do. I'll, um, so she came down those stairs, I'll go up those stairs. And uh, at the top of the stairs, it was the green room. And I'd never used the green room because I just always just hang around backstage, go on, go off and... Uh, you know, and it was up some stairs. Why would I use the green room? I could have used it the week before, but I didn't. And I walk in the green room, and um, there's a waitress there, and I knew her because I'd been there for the last week. And she goes, Oh, hello, Simon. We're up to I just want to meet Madonna. I said, Can I have a bottle of wine? She said, Look, there was loads of booze. So I took a bottle of wine and just hid behind the sofa and um, started drinking the wine. And um, gradually the room filled up. And the people, and uh, Madonna's there, she's sitting around, there's a little coffee table, uh, and she's sitting there on a sofa chatting with someone. And we're all kind of, I knew some people there, one of the super furry animals. I put Lou in my TV pilot years before. Anyway, so I knew a couple of people there. I wasn't sort of out, you know, no, who is this fellow? And the waitress, do you mean? Anyway, we're all kind of orbiting. At one point, I remember orbiting Madonna, not talking about her at all. Um, and uh, at one point, I noticed my shoelace was undone. And I knelt down to do it up. And um, as I came up, my nose brushed Natalie and Brooklyn's ass. <laughs> Nothing to report. <laughs> Nothing to report. Uh, but anyway, I wasn't, you know, on a normal day, that's, a, that's enough of an anecdote, isn't it? But, um, I was like, no. What, no. Did, what did she have to say about that? <laughs> it was only a very brief brush, wasn't it? I didn't ram it right in. No, it was just, just oh. Oh, I've nosed brush Natalie booked it. Anyway, right. Anyway, I'm thinking, oh, I've, I've drunk a bottle of wine now. I've got to, you know, come on, let's get, let's get this over with. Right. So we're all between, I've, I've come out on the opposite side of this little coffee table to Madonna and whoever she was talking to. And uh, I thought, oh, come on, I'll give it a go. So I lean over, lean forward, and uh, I say, hello. And um, she stops the conversation she's having, and she t- turns towards me, the leading over person, and she says, hello. And then there's a little lull. <laughs> and then she says, do I know you? Which was one of her songs at the time, do I know you from somewhere? Could have said something witty back. I just said no. <laughs> and um, calmly, she went back and carried on her conversation. And I felt uh, just permanently a foot shorter than I had been. I really just wasted her time. You know, I, I hadn't... Her precious time. Yes. All I wanted 
it was just because it was hard to do a challenge a, a yeah, about a challenge I'll tell you that yeah <laughs> well I hate to put you in the same room as Bob Dylan <laughs> it depends how drunk I was I'm fine no wait Bob well you need to talk to him about whatever stand up you could talk to him about comedy like he's a big comedy oh. fan right what is he I didn't I, uh, oh um, yeah he remember he almost did that comedy oh I don't know if you know about this no, lots he, I don't know well he had this idea to do a comedy pilot at one point and oh. he was in negotiation with a network yeah. with uh, Eddie Gorodetsky I think was, was involved Maybe, yeah. and uh, they worked on it for a long time it was going to be a Bob Dylan comedy pilot on CBS or whatever. They were very happy. And then on the elevator ride up to meet the head of CBS, he turned to Eddie Gordeski, you know, who's this guy who, well, he was part of the the, uh, uh, Bob Dylan's theme time radio hour. He's an old friend of his. He's been involved in many big prestigious projects. And he just turned to him and said, nah, I think it's a good idea. And and they never made it to the office. Bob said it. Yeah, Yeah, Bob said it. He He just, nah. No, <laughs> on the on the lift. On, on yeah, the lift, on the, lift on the way up. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very weird. I mean, yeah. you you could maybe not believe that about other people, but you yeah. could believe that I about Bob. He's very, just very funny man. I, I just, I mean, for, for, for lyrics wise, for example, that the opening verse of Idiot Wind. Yeah. yeah, it's just, it's a brilliant joke. I, I think someone's got it in for me. They're planting stories in the press. We know where we are with that. Whoever it is, I wish they'd cut it out quick. But when they will, I can only guess. So it's not even like it's a gangster. It's just kind of, oh, oh well. Uh, <laughs> they say I shot a man named Gray and took his wife to Italy. She inherited a million bucks. And when she died, it came to me. I can't help it if I'm lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, that's very good. You're right. It is. It is structured like a joke. Yeah, that's the punchline. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. can't know if I'm lucky. Because I've seen it on other al- other songs on the album, like "Buckets of Rain." I always love that. I love the smile on your fingertips. I love the way you move your hips. I love the cool way you look at me. Everything about you is bringing me misery. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I like that. But you're right about Idiot Wind. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, and uh, the the version of "Buckets of Rain" that he does with Bette Midler. I don't know if you know <laughs> Oh, they just crack each other up like they're killing each other the whole time, just singing the song. Oh, yeah. And and she sort of in the in the sort of chorus thing, she just she just goes, Oh Bobby, 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 Bobby <laughs> And and they start, you know, chatting with each other. It's I, I remember the first time I heard it, I was shocked. Right. I thought it was kind of a Was this live? In the studio, oh, yeah, studio yeah, it was oh, right, a right. studio thing. So possibly an outtake or was it? Well it, it was on the album. Right. No, it was it was it was released on her album. Ben yeah, Midler. yeah. Uh, I think it was songs from the New Depression. I'm that sounds about right. And uh, yeah, but I, I just thought, who? First of all, I didn't realize it was Dylan at, at first, because she basically he's sort of singing the harmony part. And I thought, who is this asshole? And uh, with and I'm not a huge Bette Midler fan anyway. And I was outraged, completely outraged. Now I think it's hilarious. <laughs> but the first time I hear a lot of Bob Dylan songs, mm. I'm kind of outraged. Like I just can't get over a lot of it. I, or rather, I do get over them. But I'm usually, his stuff is usually often so shocking. I mean, the first time I heard Murder Most Foul. I don't know that one. Oh, God. Well, I don't know. I don't know if we can go there. <laughs> you right. Because if, if you haven't, if you haven't. But is it, it about it's, a murder? Well, it's about the murder of John F. Kennedy. And it's like, ah, it, it's, it's quite it's, re- recent. Yeah, it's, on the, it's on, the, on the last album. Or it was released as a kind I, of a single. I think, 
I've heard that and COVID. really didn't like it. Well, so did I the first time. But the second time, and the third and the fourth and yeah. the tenth and the twelfth. It goes right. Well, you do. It's it's still in, you know, you just, I hardly ever get it the first time. Speaking of, uh, well, going back to Blind Willie, I just, I read something this morning. I was looking through Michael Gray's Song and Dance Man. Do you know that book? Nope. Uh, well, he's written like three volumes of it. He's a great, he's, he really is terrific. Uh, I think the, the best writer about Bob Dylan. And so he wrote this book called Song and Dance Man, and then there's Song and Dance Man 2, Song and Dance Man so all, 3. These, these three, three volumes all about Bob Dylan? Yeah, well, they're yeah. the same book. They're three so the same book, editions. but he reworks the book. So the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. finally, the final book's like a thousand pages. And uh, but it's it's really well written stuff. It's it's beautifully written and it's it's quite funny. And anyway, I was reading about Blind Willie McTell, and uh, this was a little footnote where he was just he said, "Well, we all know that Dylan loved Robert Johnson. That his kind of the first time he heard Robert Johnson, he said it changed his life." Mm. And uh, he said, "I wonder why he didn't. He's never written a song about Robert Johnson. Why yeah. why Blind Willie McTell?" And and his answer to himself was. McTell rhymes with bell, well, <laughs> yeah. yell, and hotel. Mm. And Johnson doesn't rhyme with anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Which yeah. I thought was pretty, yeah. pretty good, you know. Yeah, I'm trying, trying to think of how you, how you make Johnson that. Johnson Schmonson, maybe. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. No, that would not work. Mind you, I do love his, I love his rhyming when, when it's sort of inventive, like an Angelina. And when I first heard Angelina on that bootleg series... It's it's well it's just it's Engine. very inventive rhyming wise. So there's it rhymes with subpoena, <laughs> arena, yeah. hyena. Yeah. Well, is there a concertina? Concertina. Something yeah, like yeah, there concertina. is concertina. It's fantastic. And every time they get more and more outlandish these rhymes, you just sort of chuckle to yourself. He's yeah. thinking, went, oh my god, he went there. Subpoena. That's yeah. fantastic. I wanted to ask you. You were talking earlier about heckles. Like you're sort of is that that's sort of partially what your new show's about. It's just one little, oh, one little thing. No, but it's, it's about it's called Trials and Tribulations. It's about the two trials I've had in my life, you know, legal trials. One happened twenty years ago, and the my lawyer afterwards, I was not guilty, thank you, in Edinburgh. I got arrested for being cheeky, really. But, um, uh, is that against the law in Edinburgh? It is <laughs> if you do it near a policeman. Um, no, I, I was, it was Arthur Smith's Royal Mile tour, and it just finished. And I, uh, two policemen charged into the crowd, about 200 people. It was just a free show that Arthur does, uh, used to do, or does every year. And the year before, I'd been a German. He'd been slagging off the Germans, so I pretended to be German and heckled him. And that was quite funny. So he's Arthur's the leader of this group of people taking him down the Royal Mile. And I'm the I am German. I am Heinrich. So I was kind of the anti-Arthur figure. And if I could see a gap and put something funny in, I was sort of just making it up. But it worked. He rings me up next year, he said, come and do it again. Can you be Heinrich again? I said, yeah, sure. Anyway, same thing. He's the sort of leader, and I go, "Ah, oh, leader, I'm sort of the anti-Arthur figure." Yeah. Anyway, uh, show's over. Arthur's pulled his trousers up. That's how you know. And um, <laughs> two policemen barging their way in, into the crowd, and I ran up to him and said, "You can't arrest Arthur." And he said, "We, we don't arrest him. Just want to talk to him." And shoved me to one side. I thought, "Oh, great! This is like an encore. This is going to be fantastic because the police will talk to him." Right? Police are barging my way through the crowd. I ran around the outside and got to Arthur first. It's much quicker if you run around the outside. Of the crowd. Anyway, Arthur's just sort of strolling away with his megaphone. I just took the megaphone from him thinking this is going to be great because the police will be talking to him and go ah your leader he's being arrested by his own police it wouldn't happen in Germany or something I hadn't worked out you know I just thought this is the show's not over it was (laughs) anyway what happened was I got the megaphone two arms around me in a kind of like a rugby tackle but higher up so I just couldn't move at all and I thought oh I'll I'll throw the megaphone into the crowd someone else have a go (laughs) it seemed like a game Um, it wasn't a game anyway wisely other people just let it clatter on the floor and it all went off I was throwing one way another against the wall cuffs on 
they put me in the police car. At that point, my wife ran up and, and said, uh, you can't arrest Simon. He's my wife. I said, no, Janet, I'm your husband. <laughs> so they shoved me in. The crowd, seeing what had happened, because there's no real... We found out later the real reason he was angry was someone had stolen his hat, not me, but someone that evening. So the policeman had lost his temper. That's mm. And I was being cheeky, I suppose. I'd, I shouldn't have thrown the megaphone. But anyway, they put the cuffs on and then tighten them so it's bleeding. And I'm sitting in the back of the car and the street performer, who well, I knew vaguely, you know, nice bloke called John Feely, he dives over the bonnet of the car. Like the 200 people roughly <laughs> surrounding the car, preventing it going anywhere. He dives over the bonnet. So his face comes right up to the windscreen. He goes, shouts at me in the back, Simon, what do you want us to do? <laughs> <laughs> like I'm Nelson Mandela. <laughs> just get out of the way. Just get out of the way. They're doing anyway, and then there was a trial. Uh, I don't, how did this start? Anyway. Trials and tribulations. Yeah, tri- so that and another story about a trial for non-payment of a parking fine. And then tribulations <laughs> is, is some anecdotes and there's uh, four jokes and a, a sketch and uh, yeah, it's an hour. Well, we'll be longer by then. Oh, look, there's some clanking satire in the middle. That's what the show is, roughly. It's quite good. It's not as good as previous shows done, but it's by the end of August. You know, that's quite good. I, I'm happy with it. It's, it's not... It's storytelling. With you're some you're as tough on yourself as Bob Dylan. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, you, you would have junked blind Willie McTell. I would have. Yeah. <laughs> but your wife, oh, who you mentioned, you met her at a gig. I she heckled me. That's how we met. I married her as a form of put-down. <laughs> Hasn't worked. She's <laughs> proliferated. You probably want to know what the heckle was. Don't die. Just before that, oh, I had a really weird gig. It was Melbourne International Comedy Festival, late night. Um, I'd done my show, it had gone well, and uh, I was being a bit, bit sort of cocky in the dressing room, and, you know, someone to give me a joint, and it was uh, just, uh, other people, how, how long have you been doing it? Oh, I've been doing it, you know, five years, I mean, 15 years or something, I was just so confident. Anyway, I went on, I was doing Alan Parker and Mario, this character, I used yeah. to, and I went, uh, I did one joke from my show, and then went, right, Melbourne, got any issues? Come on, let's, because I wanted to improvise. I, wanted, I, was, I felt in that mood. I was utterly confident. Bloke at the back shouts out, repetitious comedians. All right? So maybe he saw my show an hour earlier, and I'd done one joke, and then and the character just vanished. I saw just my London skin came through. I went, what? I was so angry about it. Anyway, I tried to do the character again, but it just wasn't working. And I thought, oh, this is going really badly. What am I going to do? I, I, then I tried to explain the new character I was working on and that I would be wearing different clothes to do this, which was the League Against Teaching, which was a sort of high-tone Nietzsche parody. <laughs> I was doing that. And then there was another bit, uh, bit uh, which was in a Michael Caine voice about Jesus. And uh, I'd just been talking about that. At which point, my wife-to-be, she wasn't my wife at the time, shouts, don't die like I had a choice about it and the <laughs> reply that came to me the put down or response that came to me was where were you at the crucifixion because that's possibly the one time you could shout you know don't die where were you at the crucifixion but the mood I was in was such that I changed it to where were you at Calvary or Calgary I can't remember which one it was <laughs> one's, one's in Canada um, uh, that got a laugh and then her cousin heckled me and I said what am I doing I said to the audience what am I doing wrong what am I doing wrong and um, the, her cousin goes you're too polite mate and I went, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that got a big laugh. So none of my, uh, it was a very, I backed off the stage, but I'd done my time and uh, it was a very, very weird gig. Uh, I eventually uh, ended up getting married. Well, you and Bob Dylan have, uh, have both got away with hecklers, obviously. I don't believe you. Judas is wrong anyway. If you call Bob Dylan Judas, then what is Jesus? Folk music. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, it's not been thought through. It hasn't been thought through. <laughs> as heckles go. So we'll just reach for a word and chuck it out there. <laughs> but, like, don't die. She obviously didn't think 
about it. I mean, that was actually a nice thing to say, wasn't it? Yeah, well, in a way, it was kind of... <laughs> it was ridiculous to die. I'd say one of the few times in religious or world history is uh, when Jesus is on the cross. He's someone who could possibly save himself. I said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Can I do my uh, Dylan parody type oh. song? Uh, Bob Dylan appreciation type song. Here we go. Do you like a rhyme? Go for it. Yeah. <clears throat> One, two, three, four. All men are my brothers. All women are my sisters. Apart from my mother and potential lovers like you. Your beauty makes me spill my beer. I stop ranting about the state of this nation. And I whisper in your ear how unimportant wealth is. And you say I can't hold a normal conversation. So I suggest we go listen to someone else's. Oh, but you say no and that you have to go. But both of us know what the truth is. You fancy me, and I fancy you. You fancy me, come on, admit that you do. Oh, you've been playing hard to get, but you played the hardest yet. When you hid in the canal deep and wet, and swam around avoiding my net with only a hosepipe to breathe through. Oh, but you fancy me, and I fancy you. You fancy me, come on, admit that you do. Uh, and once, when I was pissed, I leant towards you for a kiss. But I closed my eyes and I missed. And my lips hit your fist, putting me on the casualty list. And although you now insist you did it deliberately, that's a lie I can see through. You fancy me, I fancy you. You fancy me, come on, admit that you. Now I'm getting near despair. I carry with me a lock of your hair. I see your face in the crowd everywhere. But when I get there, and stare and whip out your lock to compare. I find that it's not you. Just a woman who looks a bit similar. So she would do. There's no alternative if all else failed. Which it will do. Unless you come out and confess. You slag me off just to suggest. Because your feelings, they had deceived you. You fancy me, I fancy you, etc. <sighs> <laughs> Is It Rolling Bob Talking Dylan is recorded back home in Studio 3 at Lip Sync Studios. Engineered by Roisin King and produced by Robin Guise. Music is by Sam Hare. Find us on Twitter at Is It Rolling Pod. Madonna. She still has not showed. And we see the empty cage now corrode, where her cape of the stage once has flowed. The peddler, he now steps to the road, knowing everything's gone, which was owed. He examines the nightingale's code still left on the fish truck that loads. My conscience explodes.